I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. Today's guest shocked the Irish boxing scene when he hung up his gloves aged just 26 back in 2015. At that stage, he'd look like a possible contender for world titles down the line. But don't rule him out of the running for major championships because Dee Walsh has proven to be an even better trainer than he was a fighter, and he was a good one. It's a huge one for his boxers as Conor Quinn, Oric McCrory and Lee Reeves all headline separate shows from Belfast to Orlando to Dublin. Dee joined us on the Rocky Road last year as an insightful pundit in the lead up to Terence Crawford versus Errol Spence. But now he's back to talk more about his own going ons in the gym, in and out, in the, in and out of the gym, really. Dee, you're more than welcome and thanks for making the time because you must be one of the busiest guys in boxing at the minute. Well, thank you very much. Good back to the, uh, really appreciate that introduction there because I see blew me away a wee bit. But um, it's just something I never think about in my own career. But, um, because I'm so busy with, with the coaching. But thank you for that. Yeah, no problem, because uh, I do remember you bursting out of the blocks in, in 2011 when you turned professional as, as well. It was, it was on the Tyson Fury, Nikolai Furta card up at uh, Hennessy Sports up in Kings Hall, and you had a local derby with Ger Healy, and, and mm. I wrote about it in the paper, and I think I put you down. I put you down after one fight in a category. Let me just find I found I found a, a draft in my emails here, right? 2011, you had one fight to your name, and I had the stars of tomorrow. I expanded on it a few months later for an article, but I was just making a note, and it was mm. it was the stars of tomorrow. I had Jamie Kavanagh, so he was obviously making hay out, and he was out, obviously out in a sparring Manny mm. Pacquiao and Amir Khan. Yeah, silver medals in the world championships. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I had D Walsh, and uh, I had D Walsh. I had Jamie Connan because I had a feeling Jamie Connan was gonna was gonna break out of his inactivity and fight for world mm. titles down the line, which he did. I think it took him six years to get there. But he fought for world titles and. We saw the entertaining career he had. And then I had Dennis Hogan, uh, you know, the, the rifle WBO like middleweight champion of the world. And uh, I had Tony Bates, who was recently just come back from obscurity years out and uh, had him on the podcast there in the summer. Mm-hmm. But that, that was just a little note of Stars of Tomorrow. I think I expanded on it a few months later in the paper. I had um, Ryan Burnett and a, a few others in, in the list too. But yeah, you were, you were down on that list in my draft. I just, I was researching for this podcast and, and I found you there, Dee, so I said I'd mention. Unreal. It's from some names you mentioned there. Yeah. Even being mentioned with film people, it's from, it's like it's really, really good. Mm. Thank you again. Well look, your your uh, your main involvement in boxing now is as a coach, uh, and it is like you, you put up a post on social media and, and to really you know, to, to outline the busy month you have ahead of you with headliners coming up for Connor Quinn, Porig McCrory and Lee Reeves. I just wanna get you know, maybe we'll we'll discuss the three of them. Um first up is Connor Quinn. Uh, you mentioned that he he's in line to become like the the next um, the next top Belfast flyweight, and there's, that's quite an illustrious list of people he's he's succeeding. Like you've got Rinty Monaghan, Huey Russell, Dave Boy McCauley trained out of Belfast as well. I wasn't from Belfast, but like great lineage there of Belfast flyweights. And now Con- Connor Quinn, um, 
Commonwealth silver, uh, Commonwealth silver title. He's got the the Celtic title. You you rate Connor very highly. He's fighting in Belfast Europa Hotel on February the seventeenth against uh, Jamesy Kibazangi. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, I just watched a lot of his um, a lot of his fights more recently. And he's actually not a bad guy. He's actually got a he's actually got a bit of skill about him, but um, but a fancy because Connor is just so talented, so skillful, and uh, into the left and can punch hard. I genuinely think Connor can can really knock him out here. Um, it was about some Connor spawn at the weekend there, and um, I'll be honest with you, everybody who was there was completely blew away about about how amazing Connor is. So it's um, he's on the right road. Mark Dunlap has uh, great great plans for him. Um, hopefully, he can same a big promotion, and um, and then the whole the whole world can see how good Connor Coon is because, honest to God, he, he blows everybody away every single day in the gym. Yes, yeah, is, is he coming in a little bit under the radar? Like he's he's steadily making his name, picking up titles. But do you reckon there's a lot more? Do you reckon there's British, European, world titles possibly in his future? Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, all you have to do is come to our gym and just see what he does and how skillful he is. And he's uh he's actually a pleasure to have in our gym. He really is, and I believe that we can we can go all the way in terms of uh winning British European onward. It kinda has a, a real um a love for the British title because um his old coach, uh Paddy Graham, um back in the days where uh he was fit, he was professional and um his main goal was to win a British title. And I think he, he there was a guy who who won it called Paddy McGuire. And they were classmates and um they had an agreement. If one of them was the one at British title, then they want to fight each other for the title. And when Paddy won it, then he, he didn't fight um, Paddy Graham. So it's always like been a, a thing kind of said that we British because his coaches tell him stories about how um, prestigious and and the, the British title is, especially back in the in the sixties. You get me fifties and sixties. Yeah. That was like when the world title because they couldn't get over across the water to places like America. So the British title is a uh, it's what the Connor, Connor really wants to go for. So there's a big emotional pull there. Though. I believe you mentioned Paddy Maguire. You're training his seven-year-old grandson at the minute as well, I believe. Yes, he's actually six too. He's, I asked him the other day what age he was. He said he was six. And uh, no, he's, he's absolutely bringing me on top. And, uh, but he's about five years to go before he even has his first fight. So um, I've ha- I have a lot of kids. There's probably about 30 under 10s. And uh, they're all great kids, all really fit and talented and want to do it as well. So hopefully they'll stay at it and uh, we'll have a great team in the future. Yeah. Belfast is such a boxing city. Like kids learn how to fight at a young age. But do you ever have to cajole or to, to you know persuade boxers that, that it's it's okay, they're, they're going to be okay in the ring? Like I'm sure some kids are scared and, and worried about getting in the ring. What do you do to what do you do you to help the nervous ones, ones to go through with a fight? You see... Because uh, they're so young, you don't know how to really deal with their nerves. Um, I, have, I have a bit of a few breathing techniques that um, that helps them, um, and I explain to them why they're nervous and that you can use it as fuel rather than that they overcome me. And um, but to be honest with you, there's a lot of my kids who just they don't even think about it. It's just warm up, bang in the ring, do it and win. You get me? So. Yeah. Um, no, a lot of great kids are really good, but there is some that 
you have to talk them and kind of talk them into it, and then they end up being okay, end up winning anyway. Yeah, I was going to ask like, if you see a kid coming to your door, like maybe seven or eight years old, do you relish working with the ones who have a bit of fear because they can harness it, or, or the ones who are a bit mad, ready to go in the ring? Or which ones like are? I suppose they're like you don't know really until you get them in the ring and see how they. Uh, see how they react but what's what's easier to work with someone who's got a bit of that natural fear can maybe be a bit cagey or someone who's just a bit mad and ready to go at all times you see this is boxing you see like no it's not one series that's for all with anybody so you can have to be like a say cadges to them all um there's even like for example big jody cooker jody cook's six foot four six foot five and he's only 15 and um when he started boxing I asked him, like, are you nervous? He looked at me like, why should it be? Like, I was his attitude when he first started, but then when he was fighting the All-Ireland semi-final um, last year, he was fighting a European bronze medalist who beat him the year before. And uh, Jordy was in because he was actually really, really nervous at it. I think it's the first time I've ever seen him nervous. So me and him walked away, done breathing techniques, told him um, what he was going through. And then we actually prayed the guy as well. And then he got in the ring, and I don't think he even get hit one shot and won the fight easy. And then ended up winning the final as well against an Irish champion. So, and so, uh, I prefer maybe the kids who are like hard that don't actually need to talk to them. But then again, everybody's different, and that's why I think I've kind of found the balance with with both sets of um, kids. Yeah, you can chat if they have a bit of fear in them. You can chat. You can channel that and maybe use it to their strength. Um, I want to talk to you now about him. So we've mentioned Conor Quinn. Your second headliner is coming up on February the 24th and it's a, it's a massive fight. Um, Podrick McCrory, Paddy McCrory, Edgar Berlanga in Orlando. Enormous fight. The fight was kind of like almost playfully suggested would McCrory get the fight. We've seen Berlanga against uh, Ireland's Jason Quigley last year. But Hearn, Eddie Hearn had a, was kind of persuaded and, and this fight is on. It's, it's almost like a world title eliminator. It's a main event in America. You must... Um, Two St. James's lads from uh, from Belfast, Oddie, and you must be um, inching yourselves really to get this opportunity. No, we really are. Um, to be honest with you, like, I never thought we would ever get this far. Um, especially like the story that us two together and and being being friends from from day one until uh, now we're going to go and do it in in Florida. And um, no, you're right. We really are pinching ourselves. We're, I actually talk about it every single day that about how far we've came. Um, and to be honest with you, I genuinely do believe that we're going to do it. I do believe Cody is is the man for the job. Um, I think he's got the skill set, the strength, the experience now, um, the fitness, and um, and I think we're we've got a good game plan. Even um, Cody's actually still still learning on the job. Obviously, um, everybody is in boxing, but. He sparred the other day against Calm Simpson, and the last two days we've been kind of putting things right, the type of things that he was doing that wrong in the spar, but but could have been doing better. So I think everything's like going perfectly in terms of putting it together piece by piece and, and being ready in every single situation that, that he's going to be in the ring. You know that Potty can punch. You know that Berlanga can punch. What's been the focus in this training camp? Has it been working on defense? You're working on protecting himself against Berlanga because you don't want to get caught by him. He's, he could definitely dig. Has it been adding a few strings to his bow, um, going backwards, going lateral? or 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 like I know you won't probably reveal the entire game plan, but 
what's been the focus in this training camp? Well, to be honest with you, um, taking his head off. Well, what I what I do is what I swear, taking Berlanga's head off. No, yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. That's well, that's number one. But part of that is um, it's going to be very difficult. Um, as I say, like Berlanga is, um, in my opinion, he's, he's a very good fighter, but he's definitely beatable. Um, the way I, the way I kind of do things is I study people for a couple of weeks. And and really like delve in, like even from watching interviews and see what, what type of type of person they are as well. And uh, but what I do is I, I find patterns in what, what people do. And I either do two things. I get them to completely stop doing what um get them to stop doing what they're good at or let them do it get set traps for them. Um does that make sense? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, take it away or else let them think that they have it until they don't have it. Exactly. So use the strengths against them. Um and that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna actually do kind of do both with Berlanga. Um because we've gone over every single thing in terms of like uh every situation that he can be in the ring. So you've got the game plan, you've got the strategy, and uh, you said McCrory looks super fit and uh, you know, completely prepared. I'm sure mentally he's really switched on as well. This is such a massive opportunity. I think He's supposed to be in Disneyland with the family right now, but instead he's preparing for this massive fight. It's obviously such a Cinderella story. Um, he could probably be forgiven for thinking he's made it and, uh, and showing up at this stage, but I, I don't get the sense that that's what's going to take place here. Are you, are you talking about Berlanga, sorry? No, I'm talking about McCrory. Like to make it, you know, to headline status in a, a, lar- a massive card in the, in the USA, he's made it. You know, he's, he's made it further than he ever expected he would in boxing and you as well. Um, you're, you're, you know, as far as you're concerned, he's made it further than you really expected. But at the same time, now you're hungry for more. Oh, no, 100%. Like, at the end of the day, like, um, if you had to say four years ago that the party was ever going to get to this stage, um, people would have laughed at you. Um, so why not just go for the whole lot? Because, as I said, like, we've came this far and uh, everything's fell into place. So, I believe that it's meant to be. I really do. Um, so, as I say, like we've gambled. Um, Pody's been the underdog in a few fights, and we had the game plan right, and we did it. And Pody trusts me, and, and I trust Pody. He's going to execute the game plan as well. So, um, we're really confident, as you say. Like, um, we're going to go for it all. Just get to shoot for the stars, really. What does the other side of the achieve? Like, let's say he pulls off the achievement, has the hand raised at the end. What does the other side look like? I mean, you're looking at definitely a world title shot, possibly Canelo. What, what are you thinking here on the on the other side of this one? Well, to be honest with you, like everybody would look at Canelo fit because you're talking like it's uh, it's life changing money for one, and um, the opportunity to fit a pound for pound number one fighter um, who's been number one for a long time now. Uh, as I say, um, sorry for the noise there. But yeah, so even if that's what I'm saying, like I've got so much confidence in myself and and the way I do things in terms of game plan that if body was the fake canal, in my in my head, I still I still think that I can I can come up with a game plan to beat him. Um, even though what people probably listen to this and 
and probably last. But we've got this far, so as I say, why not go for it all? Yeah, yeah. I think um, it doesn't sound like an arrogant thing to say. Maybe, maybe written down, somebody could say, "Oh, that's you know, you can be Canelo. Who's this guy? I think he is." But I think there's a there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. I think you're on the right side of it, D, for sure. And um, keep going, keep going, because results are coming your way. I want to talk about the final uh, of the of the triumvirate of headliners you've got here as well. Dublin March the first. Uh, a Limerick man is training in your in your gym. Lee Reeves. He had an inactive 2023. Um. But he's back now to fight for the first time since December of 2022. We've seen him on um, Survivor. We've seen him in reality TV. We've seen him modeling, you know, uh, modeling clothes. But he's a serious fighter, Lee Reeves, do you believe? And like, what, what's, his, um, what's his end goal? And what's his, what are you seeing in the gym from Lee? And what are you seeing in his next 12 months? I'm going to be Lee's hungry now. Um, I think he because he done other things like because you see that he he does modeling and he was on that show Survivor and he had a busy year last year but it wasn't busy in terms of boxing so as I say um, I see that he's very hungry um and I think that he's going to put a lot of things um right when it comes March first because uh he um because he has been so inactive and to be honest with you I watched his opponent he's from a country called Benin in Africa and. Again, I think we're going to come up with a game plan, and I think Lee Reeves will knock him out. That's what confident I am in, in my fighters, um, because I believe that they trust me and what I'm saying, and and uh, in the game plan that, that we, we do come up with. So, and as I say, like, I think Lee will knock him out. All right, because yeah, and like obviously this is a Jay Byrne show in, in Dublin. Jay's looking to put lads together in derbies, match them tough, and uh, do you, is there anyone in like is is the aim? Do you? Oh, I suppose it's 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 worth to ask. Do you have a Do you have a say in the direction of Lee's career, or do you just um, do you just assess whatever fights are offered, or do you, do you strive for fights? Do you look for fights? Do you point at guys and say, "I want him," or we should target this guy? What? How is it? How is it fixed? Well, I'll be totally honest with you, because um, last year I was kind of running running shows myself. Um, wasn't professional boxing; it was another type of boxing, but. I understand that uh, the managers have a hard job and whenever my fighters basically give me um, a job to do in terms of pure fighting, I just dissect the opponent and then give them a game plan. But when it comes to the management, I just completely leave out to the managers because I know how hard of a job it is when it comes to um, running shows and stuff like that. Though. So I just stick to my job if they're giving the fighter a fight. Um, that's it. Like for example, I looked at the guy um, Leary's fighting here. He's uh he's nine wins, one loss, and he has eight knockouts and nine fights. Um, but I but then when I went and watched them, I said to myself, Nah, definitely Leon knock him out. So even though like records and all, everybody called looks good and stuff like that. There, but as I say, I've got confidence that that my fighters can. Can I stick the game plan and beat anybody? Yeah. Was it always uh, growing up in Belfast, Steve? Was it always boxing for you, or were there other sports on the horizon? What were you like as a kid? Were you a good lad, or were you, did you get yourself in trouble? Well, that's the thing about it. Um, when I was about 11, um, me and my mates um, were getting in a lot of trouble. Hmm. Me and my two mates, two twins. And um, all three of us got put on a curfew by. Um, 
Yare, Mothera, we call them. And um, we wanted to pass seven o'clock. And my, my best mate, Ray Dalton, he said to me, well, why don't we join boxing? Because his older brother was, um, he loved boxing. He loved Princess Mohammed and stuff. And my brother boxed himself. He was also champion back when he was like 12, 13, but he never stuck at it. Um, so I said, well, this would be a good idea. So that's when we joined boxing. And, but up until I was about maybe 16, 17, I played, uh, I played a lot of Gaelic and also played football. Like, for example, I played at a, a pretty high level when it came to football because my, my team was actually in the, Nor- the, Nor- the Northern Ireland Cup final. And uh, I was in the Ireland final that the same day. I was in Phil Sutcliffe in the under-19 final. It was the 10. And um, so also played one match for the county, um, for Antrim. But I'll be honest with you, it was that day that I actually realized that I haven't got to be a Gaelic player because somebody from Derry absolutely ripped me apart because um, I was left half back. So the right. attacker just destroyed me. Um, but then, uh, and then it just I packed back, or sorry, uh, Gaelic and, and I packed uh, football because I kept getting the Irish finals and I wanted to push on and, and really give everything I had to, um, to win the Irish title. And that's when you won at the, the Ireland under twenty ones in uh, in two thousand and nine. Who who taught you the game? Who like what coaches do you have to do you look back on? And or was it the lads that you were boxing with? Who taught you your moves and and, and your style? I suppose. Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, I have a I had a coach called Frankie McCourt. I'm still keeping contact with there. Um, what happened was uh, when I was training with him, um, it was me, him, me, William McCrory, and Ray Dalton. It was our club. It was only three three fighters. We we passed a club called St. John's. But what I was actually really arrogant whenever I uh, won the Irish title because, in my opinion, I thought I'd done it all myself. Um, so if like nobody helped me, I I done it all. It was my attitude. And but now that I'm a co- that I'm a coach, I actually realised that how much Frankie did for me in terms of um like learning me the basics, the fundamentals, and. And at the end of the day, he wasn't one of these coaches that told you get your hands up and go go forward. He believed in hitting and not getting hit. See, Frankie McCourt was the nephew of Jim McCourt, the Olympic bronze medalist in mm. 1964. So he was a fine much hit and not get hit type of fighter. So I can adapted that, not even knowing that it did, because um, as I say, it was just so arrogant that I thought that it was all me. But it was actually, I see now that Frankie built so much foundations in me. You get me? But then when it came to the actual stand that I fought him, um, I I used to watch a lot of Floyd Mayweather, and I used to watch the greats like Robinson, um, Andre Ward, Roy Jones, um, for example, like Pernell Whitaker and stuff like that. There, but I used to ask ask myself the question: or come there unbeaten and like fifty fights or or forty fights, and Sugar Sugar Ray Robinson's career was like crazy, like. He was like, was he at 130 wins, one loss or something? Like that. It was like something like crazy. Like that. So I just thought to myself, why are they so good? But then I started finding patterns that they do. And the patterns that they do were actually unbeatable, if that makes sense. Mm. The only thing that could beat them was the fact that they went on too long or they weren't training right for a fight or whatever. But I noticed that the patterns that they do is actually unbeatable in the ring. So... I adapted their kind of style. Like, for example, I always noticed the Floyd Mayweather always rolled when he threw a right hand. And 
I started doing it just because it was copying him. But when I noticed Steve was doing it, when I noticed when I was doing it, sorry, that I left to golf's game afterwards. So I went to myself. It must be instinctive that when someone throws a right hand at you, you throw a left hook. So it's kind of like he was like 10 steps ahead. So I kind of adapted that, if that makes sense. So I always felt like I was 10 steps ahead when I was in the ring. And uh, so, as I said, like, it was by watching the greats on YouTube. Like, I'll be honest with you, I used to watch, I, I worked in a barbershop. And I uh, I used to watch boxing for like eight hours a day and all the fee hits, ass tips. Um, like, as I say, Sugar Ray Robinson, all the greats and whatever. And then I would have went to boxing. And then after that, I would have went home and watched Floyd Mayweather. So I was just boxing, boxing, boxing. This went on for about four or five years, I'd say. And um, I was just obsessive. And I think that's what's given me kind of a head start as a coach as well. Yeah. And, and do, you, do you feel even now, uh, like as a trainer, that it's your job? To, it is your job to be st- many steps ahead now at this stage. I suppose it could be maybe difficult to bring the boxer along on the journey, but that that's the challenge, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Like, if you ask anybody who's around me, um, you'll see that all I do is watch boxing. Um, it could be people who, for example, who met my fighters are fighting. And uh, and then also, I just love watching. Like, even nowadays, people like Shakur Stevenson, um, Devin Haney, they've kind of adopted the thing from the greats. I see that the patterns that they do um, are like basically copying the greats, and that's why they're doing so well in my opinion. Yeah. D, when you when you stopped boxing at a like a surprisingly young age, obviously twenty five or whatever I think it was, um, you actually did your kind of retirement interview with me. I think I don't think you'd ever really given the reasons in great detail, um, but we me and you it was that did the interview. Uh, I think. September of 2016. It was a good few months on from you retiring. And um, like it was a, an incredible interview. I didn't really have to do much work. Like I asked you the story and you told me, like, but um, you'd been to, um, it came to a head. You'd been to, the, to Las Vegas to visit the Mayweather gym, um, your hero. And you were already kind of suffering a little bit from depression. And instead of it lifting on that trip, you came home and it, it got worse. And But you made a decision never to stop boxing. Like, do you think back to that time? Do you have any regrets about it? Or do you, do you sometimes wish that you knew then what you know now? Or do you feel that that has made you a better person, a better coach, that experience as well? Well, the balance of the, I genuinely believe that it's meant to be. Um, I think, if, for example, even me quitting boxing back in has brought me to the stage when it comes to um, training Paulie McCrory for, for Belanga. Um, I, I genuinely believe that um, that I was meant to be a, meant to be a boxing coach. Um, as I said at the time, um, I could give you um, 20 reasons why I stopped boxing, and, and they're all true. Um, just everything came there here at once, because um, I told you about the depression and, and thinking that going to throw my gym would, would fire me up and, and what, would make me want to be like him. Um, but it actually was the opposite. I went away thinking I would be anything but what I seen in that gym, like how arrogant people were and, and the way they were like treating each other and talking to each other and, and how rude they were and that's just not me. Like um anybody comes in the my gym, I'm always very welcoming to them. But um uh as I say, like 
I could give you twenty reasons why why I stopped boxing at that time, and and also is which is a big reason too is like coming towards the end. Um, if it wasn't for Joe McCaffrey, my coach, I wouldn't have even um won my last couple of fights because he was pushing me in the gym when but when I was going to say the gym and I was meant to be doing my running or whatever else I wasn't doing it. So in my head I was thinking to myself, I was only training like four days a week, maybe five or five days a week and it was mostly sparring I was doing and basically just weight loss. Like in sweat rooms, sitting with a sitting with a flipping sweatsuit on and loads of layers and, and blah blah blah. But I was thinking to myself, I'm not putting it in. Like I'm not training the way a full time athlete should be training. And if I do step it up, I could probably end up getting hurt because I just don't want to do this no more. Like I don't want to be in a boxing room. I don't want to run. I don't want to do the actual conditioning, the weights. Um, so I was going to myself, but there's people out there who maybe aren't as talented as me, but they would absolutely destroy me as well because I'm just not putting it in. Um, and it all come down to because I didn't love boxing no more. I yeah. just hated it. Um, but as I say, like, and then at that stage, my name's going very deep on a whole lot of things because, as I say, like, uh, I was very down when it comes to hearing my emotions. So it made me ask a lot of questions. Is there, isn't there a God? So I used to watch a lot of debates, atheists, scientists, um, with debating, um, believers and the creator, like type of scientists. So, um, I started realizing to myself that there probably is a creator. Looked in the, a lot of different religions. Um, who is the creator? And then it came to the decision that um, it's the God of the Bible. And what what I found and, and the evidence that I've looked into. So I was really like delving into other things and, and boxing was just not on my mind anymore. And as I say, if I kept going on the way I was going, yeah. I wasn't going to wasn't gonna make it. Yeah. Um, but it's a pity because even my last fight, for example, like as I say, I wasn't even training the way I should have been training. And I was bouncing fit. Like in the year for and I could have done another 10 rounds. And, and I don't even think I could have one tough fit. Yeah, I think I think I wrote it. Uh, it's TikTok, actually, because I'm looking back um, at what I wrote back in 2016. And you'd retired early, as had, uh, as had Raymond Ginley. And you'd found he'd introduced you maybe to the, to the Bible a little bit as well. But I wrote a paragraph saying, um, there are those of us who hold out hope that Walsh and McGinley, uh, too, are, are, are simply having their George Foreman moment. In 1977, two and a half years after losing the rumble in the jungle to Muhammad Ali, the former heavyweight champion of the world, quit boxing to become a minister. Foreman had just lost to Jimmy Young, having gassed in the second half of their 12-rounder. He was ill in his dressing room, suffered exhaustion and heat stroke, and believes God reached out to save him that night. And then I wrote, Walsh believes it's similar with his depression, but won't won't commit to returning after a ten year hiatus as Foreman did before winning back the title. So that's uh, that's next year. So um, your ten year George Foreman spell is up next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I've delved into it deeply in terms of um, Boston Colton because me and I, I trained I had the kids with Jeremy McCaffrey, who who was my coach. Um, but we counted up. I think we've got like fifty. Carter boxers in our club and as I say we've got like 30 under 10s and they've got at the minute with four pros but I also do one of the ones so I've also got fighters there so you're probably talking we've got like 85 to 90 fighters um, 
So at the end of the day, it would be very selfish of me um, to come back in the boxing because you could never be uh, a fitter or a coach because it would just take up too much time. Um, yeah. I look back sometimes and, and I look at how talented it was, and, uh, but it's, it's very rare that I ever do that because my, my eyes are always on the job in terms of, of coaching. But when I do get tense, I think, uh, I think myself, it is a pity that, that uh, I didn't go on and uh, fulfill my potential. But, but at the end of the day, I think it's just meant to be. Uh, I'm meant to be here for Paddy McCrory, Connor Quinn, Lee Rees, and and now we've got uh, John Boyd, who's going to make his pro debut. Um, so to say, I just think it's meant to be. And you've all this uh, work put into becoming a boxing coach already at this young age. I think you're the three time in a row Irishboxing.com Irish Coach of the Year already by the age of 34. Ridiculous progress being made, and you're looking at like a 40 year career ahead of you. You know, you've got all your faculties. You've got your health, you've got your experience, and you're still young enough and fit enough probably to get in, in the ring a lot, you know, with the fighters and, and move around an awful lot. So I think you're in a great place. I think you probably made the right decision. Yeah, I think um, it would be nice to be 40-10 Irish coach of the year, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, but this is say, like, I'm actually really, really proud to be, to be called Irish coach of the year because at the end of the day, like, in my opinion, boxing is the number one sport in this country and um in terms of success anyway and for me to be the coach of the year it would mean that i'm one of the best coaches in the country in terms of of all sports and, and when you sit and think about that like it's it is pretty amazing um and as you say like the, the fact i'm only 34 as well um no i'm actually really really proud because as i say like i'm a proud irish man so the fact that i'm coach here three times in own ireland is is pretty amazing um but as i say like I don't even get tense to think about it sometimes I'm just because I'm just so busy with uh, with my fighters. So at the end what, of the day, I have to just keep going. What coaches out there in any sport, be it boxing or any other sport, what coaches do you look to or do you admire? What coaches inspire you? I'll be honest with you. Um, there's not ones out there that will go like a copy him um, because I think every coach is on their own journey. and. Uh, but I will say one thing. The coaches that, that I really do look up to is like Coach Tomato, um, Brendan Engel, and also Emmanuel Stewart because I I really look up to coaches who are bring um kids who just come in the door at flipping six years of age and you've turned them into the world champion. Like in my opinion, that's a real coach. That's like that's a hero of me, of mine because at the end of the day, like they uh it's easy getting a fighter when he's already fitting Olympic silver medals or Olympic gold medals and turn them into a world champion. Mm. It's not easy, but it's a lot easier than taking the kid who just walked through the door, comes off the streets, keeping him, getting him to the top and um keeping them away from all the distractions when it comes to drugs, alcohol, women, gambling, all these problems that the boxers always run into and See if you can take him into the, the, the top. Like, and me, to me, that is credit to society. Yeah, and not definitely. just in boxing, but but in life in general. Yeah, like I mean, the three men that you mentioned there, like famed for doing exactly that, taking in children, and 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 I'm sure all three of them, like Stewart from the from tough Detroit and the Ingalls story about coming, you know, meeting the kids in Sheffield. Um, 
all very well known for like and, and custom matter like he's taking kids out of the roughest toughest parts of New York I'm sure for every one champion they fostered, they fostered or brought along there's a hundred kids that you know that they rescued from a life of deprivation and poverty and going the wrong way and maybe they didn't become world champions or anything like that but you know bettered their lives through boxing as well and through the mentorship that was provided yeah, definitely. Um. Yeah, look, I, I think we, we've we spoke about enough there. I, I really just want to get your take on the three big fights that are coming up. Like, I mean, obviously, not to not to undersell Lee Reeves' fight or Conor Quinn's fight because they're both very important fights and they're headlining in domestic shows. But this this McCrory fight is massive for you personally as well as for Fergo or for, as well as for Porrick, Sorry. Yeah, definitely. Like, when it comes to um the three fights, in my in my opinion, mm. I can see three stoppages, three knockouts. And um, because I believe in the fighters and I believe in their fitness, their, their mindset, um, and, and obviously the tactics that we're going to go for. Um, but as you said, the Berlanga fight, the Pony McCrory, but just, I think it would absolutely change everybody's lives. Like, even for example, man, it would probably change my children's lives. It would change Audi and his children's lives. And, and I'd say, like, Pony's wife is my my cousin. And uh, so we're all like, we're all like a family. Like, like literally, um, like a family, so um, it would be unbelievable. Like, it would be an amazing story, as you said, but the fact that we're both from St. James and and uh, it's really sentimental, really. Um, and it would be absolutely unbelievable for us, for the areas, West Belfast, and the whole of Ireland. I think everybody would be proud. And do you have any fight plans for like Orlando fight week? I think the so the fight's on in late February. When are you heading over, and uh, what's the plan for? For fight week, are you going to be just staying cool, staying in the hotel, relaxing, or are you going to be making a trip out of it, or are you going to stay there for much longer afterwards? What's the plans for fight week? I don't know. Like, I think at the end of the day, we're going to Orlando, but I'm not going there for a holiday. I'm going there for, for strictly business. Like, I'll say one thing. Like, I always have my, my fighters kind of deal with their, their own weight. I never need anything in me. I'm, I'm there for them, but um, my fighters have like nutrition and stuff like that there. So, the fight week it's just like just like kind of cooling down and, and just taking over until the fight I mean I'm going to be doing nothing major but we're going to go a day after Conor Quinn's fight because he's fighting seven days before body so we're going to go out there like obviously six days before and um just going to go over things that, that we've been doing for the last four over four years now so uh nothing's going to change it's just going to be, be strictly business and then after the fight we're just going straight home again was there any tempta- temptation, or have you uh, contacted uh, Jason Quigley or Andy Lee? Because they they obviously unsuccessfully went up against um, Berlanga last year. Although they did have some success throughout the fight, uh, they put up a good they put up a good battle. I felt. I felt. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Jason Quigley's a brilliant fighter. Like I can remember being in the high performance um, team and uh, uh, the Irish team, and. Uh, I can remember he was going to like Lithuania or something and we were training. We were going to Liverpool for my my first international. And um I can remember he was way below me and how he handled himself. Um he probably doesn't even remember, but I, but it stuck out to me that how dedicated he was. I can remember the, the food he was eating. Like uh he knew exactly what was getting into his body while we were all running the boat eating crap. Um so I've always respected Jason Quigley at the end of the day he's the first Irish man to ever get the award final. Um and as I say um, but Potty, um got a bit of information 
Um, he told me I think it was about a month ago that he was he in contact with Jason Craigley or Jimmy Conlon was in contact. Something like that. And they were asking questions and and uh, he told him a few things. But at the end of the day, Jason Craigley is a, a different fighter from from Potty in terms of stand. So um, yeah, it'll be a different fight. Hopefully, well. Confident there's going to be a different outcome. Have you visualized the uh, the finish? You're confident that Paddy's going to win and win by knockout. Have you? Cl- can you close your eyes and see the finish and tell us what you see? Honestly, um, me and Paddy's talked about this. Like, I can imagine Paddy hitting them, and you ever see when someone is uh, gets hit a hard shot, just stands there in the space. Honestly, God, I, I really do think that that's what's going to happen. Um, He's going to be hit. He's going to be shocked by Potty's power, and then Potty's going to finish him, and then we're all going to stun the ring like maniacs afterwards. <laughs> you like um, like when he won the IBO title in Germany? Yes, for me. I'll never forget that. That was one of, one of the best moments of my life. Um, but this Berlanga one, I would I would top it all. Yeah. Well, look, I wish uh, I wish you and your team all the best, and uh, you know you. You've probably got a busy year stacked up for the amateur kids as well. I'm sure you got championships every other week, so you're going to be up and down to Dublin the whole time uh, competing. So look, best of luck yeah, to you well, and your stay. Exactly. It's this, this year is actually um, it's all messed up. Um, there's going to be a load of trips. It's not even going to be in Dublin this year. Apparently, it's going to be in Roscommon, which is like four hours away from us. Um, but it's a, with it all and start the same day. Lee Reeves fed, so. Um, I'll probably end up being Ross Common that morning and then heading to Leary's fight later on that night. That's the way my life is at the minute. It's just absolutely hectic. Um, but at the same time, I love every second of it. And I'm confident in it at all. Like I said, even the kids who are fighting, um, we've, we have a lot of kids who are going to be uh, competing in the Irish Championships this year. And I think it's going to be our best one yet. We've seen an awful lot of like uh, the sons and daughters of Irish boxers in recent years getting involved in sport. Will your kids uh, be involved in boxing, do you think? Well, I'm trying to get my son's going to be turning 11 soon. Um, he's a big lad. He loves football, but just done my best to get him into it. But my my seven-year-old son, um, he's he's super. And he's absolutely, he's, he's really, really tall too. And um, he's brilliant. He really is. He, he wants it. He wants to do it. So... I'm actually looking forward to seeing him in the future too. And uh do me proud. That sounds good, but look, sounds like the future is bright. We'll uh, we'll leave it there, D Walsh. It's, it's been a pleasure having you join us today on the Rocky Road and uh, describing the challenges. Cheers, Kev, but I really I really appreciate it. Um I see you brought back a lot of memories of him. Actually felt I actually got emotional pain. So the uh Oh, I think he's dropped off there just telling us uh, how emotional uh, <laughs> the podcast made made him. But look, we appreciate hearing that sort of stuff. And uh, it's great to have the brilliant D. Walsh, three-time trainer of the year in Ireland, join us on the line today for the, for the episode. Join us again next week. 